Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. Unfortunately, I must once again begin today's episode with an apology. I am truly sorry for the lack of episodes on this Mini Break podcast feed over the course of the past two weeks. Now, again, I promise it's not because we've been taking a vacation here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, we've been so fortunate over the course of the past two weeks to be able to dive headfirst into into the Division I college tennis world. We were so fortunate to be able to broadcast both the Division I men's and women's national indoor championships, and what a phenomenal two weekends of college tennis we were all treated to. Unfortunately, though, diving headfirst into the collegiate tennis ranks, it distracted me from everything that's happened in the pro tennis world over the course of the past half month, and as such, What I want to do here this week is play catch-up for all of you tennis fans who turn to the mini break for all of those daily updates on everything happening in the pro tennis world. We will have multiple mini break episodes throughout the course of this week, multiple, multiple episode days. That's right, the double multiple here on the mini break to try and make up for last time. As I am well aware, there have been some fascinating developments on both the ATP and WTA tours, but of course, too, Set the tone for the week here on today's episode. What I want to do is set the scene for all of you tennis fans. Talk about the five tour-level events we have on the calendar this week. And as always, if we're going to attempt to try to preview everything that's happening in the tennis world, you know I like to have some help on this show to help me do just that. Thankfully, I've got a returning champion of returning champions joining me today for an edition of the show. We love to refer to, of course, as our Tennis Point Tuesday segments. Joining me today to help break it all down, it's my guy, Nate Walrath. Nate, welcome back to the show. Let me ask you this. What introduction take was better? One, two, three, four, or 17? (laughs) (laughs) This was a... I think this is the first time I've ever seen you fumble an intro, but hey, I'm glad to know that Grus... I didn't know if Gruskin was human or if you were just... (laughs) automatic at spitfiring these intros and i was like dang at least this is relatable when, when we're going through intros every podcast takes a couple to get going baby let's go but the energy hit on all of them so as long as the energy is good you can't go wrong that's all i ask for and it always helps my energy to have you here as it's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you about everything happening in the tennis world and of course on today's show we want to look forward at the week ahead before we can do that though i know of no bigger college tennis fan. I know some who are equal to you, but I know of no bigger college tennis fan than you, Nate Walrath. So I ask you this. TCU wins back-to-back national indoor titles, first time since the late uh, 2000s, early 2010s. We've seen a program do that. Similarly, on the women's side, what is it now? Nine consecutive finals for UNC at the Division I Women's National Indoors. They've won four consecutive championships. Your reaction to the past two weekends of college tennis, we obviously have to thank our friends at Tennis Point for all the support you guys provide to the college tennis world. Let me ask you this. Was it worthwhile from your perspective, given what we saw over the past two weeks? I, At least, dude, I can 100% say that tennis at the college, the collegiate level has been able to be celebrated through what you and the ITA team was able to put together the last few weeks with the streaming of the indoor tournaments for both the women and, and men. I mean, it just, it made my day to pop into both of those. I know for the men, I was seeing 700, 800 people pop in there watching live, watching you and Mike Cation kind of just rolling through the, I mean, the best college players, best college teams in, in the nation. And 
that was pretty special to share that experience with all those big college fans and just co collegiate sports fans in general. And it's like, I just think that that was a special um, a way to observe tennis. I wasn't able to get on site, which was a bummer for me, but just to feel like I was there and just this, just to see the energy and the all the comment section, and everything, and then the level of tennis. I mean, absurd. I mean, I was before I was. I mean, I, I was. I'm, I'm. Hopefully, I'm graduating from being a casual college fan to more of a uh, constantly in tune with the the like the the temperature of where college tennis is. And I was of the notion beforehand that college tennis was more predictable than March Madness, and the fact that there was less upsets and uh, the better team was going to win more often than not. I I think I have a new take on that after seeing. Uh, what what the men just did, it is not as black and white as I thought coming into this tournament. I mean, I almost penciled in Ohio State to get to the final, at least get to the semifinal against Michigan, uh, is where I kind of saw this draw coming to a uh, kind of to a head front. But OSU getting knocked off by a hungry Texas Longhorns team, who just they blew me away with, and then TCU being able to take them out in that type of fashion, TCU's depth, they just have talent across the board. So many guys can get big wins. So many guys can come up with the goods across from one to six. The doubles point they 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 were able to secure in the final. And I mean, I was just an all Texas final. I I enjoyed the whole experience. And both men and women, it was a uh, awesome awesome time tuning in and watching you guys do your thing. Yeah, to that end, I mean, TCU has eight pro players on their roster. The UNC women have eight pro players on their roster. And, like, again, so does A&M. So does Texas. All these different teams. You watch the Vidmanovas, the Brant Myers, the, the Leah and Connie Maas, Fiona Crawley's, of course, on the men's side, Jack Pennington Joneses and Luke Fomba's, Johannes Mondays, all these Andre Stylers of the world. And you're like— that's pro tennis. I, I Again, the quality was exceptional. The depth elite for what? all of these college teams as well. Give me your overwhelming, like, take, like, what was the one thing that you were like, holy crap. It's this the depth. Was... It's, it's the depth this year. It's that you watch some, like, again, Seb Gorsny was playing, who did he play? Uh, Cleve Harper at the number five <laughs> spot again. And you're like, how is this a five singles match? Or like, again, bi like, just. Throughout the course of the day, you're just like, the quality is too good. He's a good. freshman. No, Taha Body versus Sander Jong in the semifinals was a joke. And it's like, how is this? This is a challenger-level match, and it's happening at four singles. It's a crime that we didn't get to see that match come to a conclusion. Yeah, well said. Again, it's really fun. It's all really good tennis. Here's my one tidbit for you. And by the way, listeners, I promise we're getting to the pro action. I've said we're done with our head. These guys deep. are pros. I this know. pro action. But you got to love that I start out the show saying, don't worry, we're not going to talk about college today. And then we do our first seven minutes of the show on college here, Nate. That's just you and I to a T. Yeah. Um, but again, more broadly, I, I do think, you know, a couple things. Well, I guess this is my last point. You talk about becoming further ensconced on the college tennis beat, Nate. Don't give up your impar or your partialness as a fan. The idea of that you're still able to be partisan and root for the schools you love most. Hold on to that as long as possible. Because I actually think the thing I miss more than anything in the world is being able to cheer unequivocally for a college tennis team. Because now it's like, well, I know you, I know you, I know your coach, I'm going to get yelled at, I don't want to be biased, all these different things. I received an hour-long yelling from my cousin and younger brother who were like, why were you not more pro-Michigan on the broadcast? And I was like, this is good. <laughs> this is good that you don't think I'm pro-Michigan on the broadcast. But like, hold on to that fandom because, again, college tennis, in my opinion, the one place in 
tennis where partisanship is still encouraged, and that passion is what makes it so exceptional, of course. If you missed anything from the weekend, you can catch replays over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll be recapping it on all the events on the deciding point over the course of the next two days. You can find those 9 p.m. Eastern time Tuesday, Wednesday nights on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. But Nate Dog, we're not here to talk about the college tennis world, even though we just spent a fifth of the podcast doing that. No, we are here today, Nate, to discuss everything that's happening in the pro tennis world. And with that in mind, of course, shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15, but let's just get right into it. It's yep. another week, and this is the theme of February, five tour level events on our hands. Of course, we also have our first 1000 level event of the year. And that's where I want to start the draw in Dubai this week, Nate. It's, it's a joke. Like we talked about the joke of the depth and the parody and all these different things in the collegiate tennis ranks. I mean, Uh are you seeing what we have on our hands here this week in Dubai? I just finished calling a round of 16, three and a half hour thriller between Belinda Bencic and Marta Kostyuk. And excuse me, not round of 16. That was a round of 32 match. That was a second round match. And, you know, just looking at the players we have in the draw this week, 28 of the top 32 players in the world, they're all in the main draw of this event. You're getting just about Everyone participating this week. Of course, you've got Iga Sviantek coming off of an event where she dropped just five games on her way to the title last week. You've got an Arena Sabalenka who earns an 0-1-1 victory over Lauren Davis in her first match here on Tuesday morning. She was absolutely dominant. And here's a Sabalenka stat for you, Nate. She's won 24 of the 25 sets that she's played this season. Of course, you've also got... Jesse Pagula, who gets through in her first round match, it was a little tricky. She ultimately does, though. You've got Belinda Bencic now 15 and 2 overall, including two titles to start her season. I think she's pretty clearly the third best player in the world. Of course, Samson Nova's coming off of a final. She's carried over that form we saw from last season. Garcia versus Keys is a round of 32 match. That just doesn't feel kosher. It feels again, this draw is jam-packed in Dubai, Nate. Give me, give me a couple of players you're watching most closely. You you said an interesting thing there. You have Benchich slotted at the three spot. Uh, is that is that ahead of Pagula? Yeah, I think so. I just think I trust the power tennis that Belinda Benchich has played this season more. And again, Belinda Benchich, can you name those two losses, Nate? Because I think this helps solidify my argument. Probably Iga and... Literally, those are her two losses. She lost to Iga in United Cup. She lost to Sabalenka at the Australian Open in the fourth round. Wow. I'm not knocking her for those two. Like, no one else has been able to beat her. She comes back from a set down against Azarenka last week. She does it again from a set down this morning against Kostyuk. It's not just the power tennis. It's not just the serve. She's fitter than she's ever been. She's healthier than she's ever been. She's won 52 matches over the last 52 weeks. That's the most matches she's ever won in a 52-week stretch on the calendar. I'm all in on the 25-year-old Benchich, who, by the way, she turns 26 this year. She should be in the prime of her career. She is. Let me ask you what my tennis channel question of the day was here, Nate. Do you think Belinda Benchich wins a slam in her career? Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. I, I actually today watching the match against uh, Kashik when she missed the lob on, on set point through a racket, I thought that might have been the start of uh, the uh, a little slippage. And I thought Kashik was going to have the goods to come through as she was playing unbelievable tennis in that first set. But uh, no, Benchich is just 
able to sustain her level and just continue to kind of push forward. And that was, that was a massive win. But I mean, the women's game right now, it's, it almost seems that Iga, it may be on a, a, a her own, her own level ahead of, at least ahead of, of Sabalenka. And then you got Sabalenka and Benchich in that next tier. And then you got Pagula. And then it's like, there's a lot of people in that next, that, that tier four seems to be a lot of people kind of coming out, coming after that, that next level. But uh, just the consistency from Pagula, Benchich, and Schwantek has been incredible. And I think the women's game is so deep. I mean, you just saw Madison Keys taking out Garcia. I mean, it's just across the board. I mean, what 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 Iga is doing though? I mean, ripping through Leila Fernandez. Was it one and one? I think she might have finished that one out today. It's just like Iga has no. I don't know how you what if you're a coach. I don't know what you're telling your player to to do to get to Iga to make her uncomfortable. Like I, I haven't figured out what. I mean, other than hitting through her is, and just hoping you're, you're redlining and just finding lines on every forehand. I mean, and you're just, but like her movement is so good. She can absorb pace. You can redirect. She can keep you off balance with just her, her finesse game and her ability to throw in some variety and serving well, returning well. It's just like, where is the weakness in Iga's game? It's just a hard place to attack. You ready for these matchups we've already seen? And again, we're in round number two of this event. Matches we've already seen, though. Carolina Pliskova's pass through the round of 16 is a joke, Nate. First round, you know, first round Pliskova has to face Marketa Vandrusova, who is wow. playing like a top 25 player in the world right now. She beats her three and four. Round number two, she gets Sakari, and she beats her, beats her one and two. You look for someone like Ludmilla Samsonova, the 14th seed this week. First round for Samsonova, no cupcake. She faces Paula Bedosa, three-set win there. Now, she was scheduled to face Jung Chinwen. Chinwen, unfortunately, forced to pull out, but like... Linda Fruvertova, the wild card, the talented young Czech. First round, she beats Danielle Collins in straights. What was her reward for that, Nate? 13th seeded Yelena Ostapenko, who 2-0'd and her earlier today. I mean, like, we already mentioned the matches. You know, round of 16, you've already got Ostapenko-Sabalenka. You've already got, you know, potential battles. There's potential battles everywhere. I think Kvitova-Krachikova is a potential battle as well in the round of 16. It's really good this week, Nate. And I know we got to talk about the other events. So I ask you, predictions, final, champion. We were really good last week. Who you got this week? Anna Samova already lost as Azarenka as well. And she was up like a set and a break. Yep. So it's ridiculous. Now this draw is, is, is a fun draw to go through and the matchups are incredible. But I'll take, I mean, I can't bet against Iga until somebody shows me that she has something that is attackable. Um, I got Iga coming out of the top. Uh, I think she plays. I hope to see her against Madison Keys in that in that semifinal. And then I'll take out of the bottom. Give me. I mean, yeah, it's just like I'm. How can I bet against Sabalenka after what she's been saying? Like in her you interview, know, hasn't she been killing the interviews? I'm so happy you said that, Nate, because literally everything she's saying is the crux of which is just like. No, I'm I'm ready to dominate now. And yeah. like no, I know that those are just words, but they're the right words. As much as the, her, as as much as I've been impressed by her level of tennis, it's the interviews and what she's saying and how she's conducted herself and winning her first slam and just how composed she seems and how confident she seems going forward that she's kind of found her formula to success and uh, her and Coach Stacy have, have put together a, a game plan that is going to be a dangerous for her to come, especially on the hard courts. It's just like her, she knows what she does. Her plan A is obvious, but now she seems to find her plan B is 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 kind of come around. And now, she, even when she's not on her front foot at all times and really teeing off on the ball, she has other layers to her game now, which is going to make her more dangerous. And I just, yeah, the one and two w- women in the world right now seem to be uh, head and shoulders above the rest of the the rest of the crowd. But 
the women's depth is so deep. And if you if you have if you're on your B game, you're, you can fall in any of these rounds. So, but I, I got to be boring today. I got to take the one and two seed in the final, and I will take. Give me Sabalenka over, over Svantec, just just because. Just let me ride the, the Sabalenka wave until until that one uh, dies out. But I think that is just it's going to be. A, I hope to see that matchup just because that's been a, electric tennis from both of those girls all year long. Very well said. It's a rivalry that we haven't gotten to see a ton of. I know Sabalenka beat her at the World Tour Finals last year, but God, would it be uh, absolutely delightful, absolutely delightful for us to have the opportunity to see that battle unfold. I'll tell you this. I wouldn't hate Samsonova taking on Iga as well, and I think we're going to have that matchup, assuming Iga gets through Fernandez. Samsonova at least has weapons to make Iga uncomfortable. But, I mean, weapons. Like, Rabakina Boshkova is a round of 32 match. What a fun contrast of styles and, you know, a potential— Listen to these potential sec, uh, round of 16s, and then I swear I'm moving on. Iga versus Samsonova— Garcia versus Azarenka, or Keys versus Azarenka, both winners. Rabakina Goff in. Benchich Mukova in. Pagula Bogdan in. Krichikova Kvitova in. Ostapenko Sabalenka. I'm in. I'm all in on the. This is 1,000 worthy tennis. Again, all the big guns, 28 of the top 32 players, were in the draw this week. Ego right now, according to Tennis Abstract, 35.4% chance of winning. Sabalenka's at 14.5%. You know what, Nate? We're best when we're bonded together. Put that fist in the air. Let's bond together right here as we do on Tennis Point Tuesdays. Ega versus ride. Sabalenka in the final. You going Ega? No, give me give, give me Arena Sabalenka. <sighs> you you <laughs> That's just because I, mean. I no. know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I can't let you be the one that. that that's yeah. the <laughs> I got, yeah. I got to take over this shit. Yeah, you beat me to it. Well said. Um, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Iga then. Well, I'll just go the other way. But no matter what, I think that action is going to be really fun in Dubai. Of course, that's event number one on the week on the women's side. Event number two, and we'll blitz through this one a little bit more quickly. But it's happened in Merida, Mexico. Uh, look. It's not a bad draw for your undercard event, particularly on a week where, again, you have a Masters 1000, excuse me, 1000 level tournament elsewhere. Your top seed, Magda Lynette, 13.2% chance of winning. Second seed is Sloane Stevens, who really just needs to right the ship at some point here to start the year. She's a 6.7% chance. Now, the favorite right now is Camilla Giorgi. 14.4% 14.4% for the unseated Italian up there as well. Fifth-seeded Alicia Parks, who obviously certainly looked like a future member of Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club and maybe even, I don't want to say slam threat, but someone who could clearly had some top 20, top 10 type weapons, especially with the serve, how comfortable she is moving forward. But of course, the elevation of Mexico, a little bit different than those indoor hard courts where she's had so much success over the past five months. That said, I, I mean, again, you got the Katie Volinetsas of the world, the Katie McNally, who got a really good win over Ju Lin early in this event to put herself into the round of 16. We can just go straight prediction here, Nate. Top half, bottom half, what you watching, who you got? I'll give a sneak preview of hopefully some content to come from Anita Wells, but it seems like we will be getting the ASIC sponsored Alicia Parks and some content. I got to go ride her on this one. I think she's going to take come out of the top. I know she. I know she's gonna have a couple of tough matches up there, but I just think the power tennis game and her serve. If she's on her game, and I think she's got her legs back underneath her after coming off her first title, I think I'll take her. I know it's it's a uh, yeah. I think she'll she'll probably will face Magda Lynette, who could be a tough customer. But I think I'll go Parks from the top, 
And out of the bottom, I got to go Camila Georgie, who I took her in the last event. I feel like she was in. I can't remember what it was, but I didn't didn't make me look uh, didn't hit on that one. But I'm taking Camila Georgie round two here from the bottom. Uh, I think she, she thinks she'll take out Sloan Stevens and then go on to win this tournament against Alicia Parks in the final. You know my philosophy, Nate Dog. When in doubt, keep swinging. I don't hate the pick. I'll tell you what. I think Kami Osorio might beat Magda Lynette round number one and knock out wow. her top seed. And then I think Julian Niemeyer actually gets through both. I'm so impressed by the young Germans. Niemeyer's tough. That she, yeah, she hits the crap out of the ball, Nate. And I just like, does Osorio have the weapons? or does The, the matchup I want to see would be a potential quarterfinal between Parks and Niemeyer. Because I just think that's really good power tennis on both wings. Am I reading that right? Is she 2-6 and six this year, Niemeyer? Yeah, she's had some tough draws, though, right? Like, let's actually read through the context, right? Like, 6-5 and five loss to Osorio, 6-3 in the third loss to Potapova. Potapova goes on to win the event. She loses 4-5 and five to Iga in Australia, 4-3 and three to Pliskova in Adelaide, losses to Boshkova and Keys at United Cup. Like... Damn, tough draws. Again, exactly. She has she like she's looking at this first round against Pana Udvardi, and she's like, "Thank God, like finally, I play a mortal." Um, and so, like again, I agree. Like, I I wouldn't sell her short. I really hope we get the battle of the weapons, Udvardi versus Parks in the quarterfinals, because that would be explosive. You ready for a hot take, Nate? I'm going Listen. Katie McNally. I think McNally gets to the final of this event. I really have loved Whoa. the level of McNally over the course of the past six months. I just think the serve, the forehand, the fitness, they're all clicking in the right sort of ways. She already got through the big test in Julin. I think that's shocking. I, I, I would love to see McNally come through. Yeah. That was a little Ohio special for you, Nate. Just wanted to make sure you were Damn. paying attention. Uh, I'm going to go McNally. God, that bottom half of the draw is a mess. Um, Am I going to go McNally versus Wang Xinyu, or am I going to go McNally Sinyakova? <sighs> I'll go McNally Sinyakova. Right now, Katie McNally is 0.0% chance of winning, according to Tennis Abstract, but I think that's wrong in the formula. I just don't think they have the right Katie McNally name plugged in right now, so that'll get fixed eventually. Jeff, there's a bug. He'll figure it out. <sighs> wow. I love I love the pick, though. I love. Yeah, the pick. you know what? I'm going McNally over Sinyakova in the final. I don't love it, but it just oh. feels like I, we haven't gotten funky with one of our picks yet, Nate, and we've been wow. pretty good on our picks this year, so I'm getting funky, and I'm feeling pretty confident about it as well. Oh. With, yeah, any final thoughts? Flip it. No, that's a, that's a tennis point tweet right there. I think that's not to put any pressure on the on the young Cincinnatian, but that's I think that's a lot of respect for what she's been able to put <laughs> together and the work she's put in because, no, she's starting to figure some things out. Now she's top 100, and I think the conference – just coming from that and being able to find her ground against players like Arnold Jabeur in the last, you know, three or four months. And I think she's, she believes in herself. So I, I like, I like the pick here. I love that you say clip it. I'm like, that's, that's a man near and dear in my heart. That's you've been watching the streams. Haven't you? You know what we do here now at Cracked Rackets, what the routine is. Um, all right. With all that said, also have three ATP events this week. We can rapid fire through each of them as well. Nate, I'm reserving the right to bring you back on the show later this week. We'll see how these predictions go. Obviously, if you have some free time, please just let me know. But Let's start with the 500-level event in Rio, where obviously top seed Carlos Alcaraz coming off of a week where he found his footing. Alcaraz working his way to the title 
in Buenos Aires last week, dropped just one set on his way to that title. He's the top seed. He's been given a 46.1% chance of winning this event. You look at some of the other names in the draw. Cam Nori, a finalist last week as well, got knocked out in straights by Alcaraz. It was a really good first set, and then Alcaraz kind of just turned on the Jets. And I thought that match said more about Alcaraz than it did Nori. But, of course, listeners who want my thoughts on all of last week's action just Hold tight as there will be a second mini break here later in the day. I'm going to go Han Solo, offer my thoughts on everything that happened last week. But look, Alcaraz is in this draw. Week one of this South American clay court stretch winner, Sebi Baez, who of course snapped, what was it, like a 17-match losing streak or something crazy like that. I don't think it was actually 17, but Baez... Who won the uh, who won the title in Cordoba a couple of weeks ago? I think he's unequivocally one of the twenty best players in the world. When we get to clay court tennis, you also have Francisco Sarundalo, the grinders, Albert Ramos Vinoles, who makes his living during this section of the calendar. And then shout out to the birthday brother Juan Pablo Varia, semifinals last week in Buenos Aires. He's up to a new career high of number eighty-one. I mean. Again, Nate, as you know, if you're born October 6, 1995, you're just predisposed to being a successful human being. Uh, That's what we've learned about Juan Pablo Varillas over the course of the past six months. But again, looking at this draw, Diego Schwartzman is a name you have to circle, right? Just given his struggles of late and so far in South America, Schwartzman, first round loss to Sarundalo in Cordoba, first round loss to Zapata Morales in Buenos Aires as well. Diego Schwartzman, 21 and 25 over the course of his last 52 weeks. He's lost 12 of his last 13 matches, Nate. Excuse me, 11 of his last 12 matches. It's not great, Bob. It's not great. And again, as you look more broadly, I'm curious. What, what you thinking about Rio? So, I mean, yeah, but what Carl, I mean, Carl's coming back and finding his form that quickly was ridiculous. I mean, watching him work through matches last, last week where he wasn't coming out of the gates hot, but he was able to just find his game, whether it was just playing with higher margins until he found the confidence or found a big enough margin in, in his game score to take more chances. But, I mean, it was a beautiful week of tennis from him that he was able to just some tricky matchups that he was able to work through. I think he's obviously, like you said, 46% favorite. Hard to go against him. I don't think Diego Schwartzman or any of these guys in his uh, in his side of the – on his uh, end of the bracket are going to really push him too hard. I mean, Fognini hasn't been able to sh- show the goods recently. Schwartzman might be on his last leg unless he's able to turn something around drastically. Um, so I'll take Carlos out of the top. Out of the bottom, I like Alex Molchan from the bottom. I think Nori could be a little bit gassed. I think if uh, if Sarandolo pushes him a little bit and then Montero could be a tricky matchup, Molchan could be finding a, uh, a, a gassed Nori. I like Molchan coming out of the bottom, maybe taking out Francisco Sarandolo in the semi, and I'll take... Carlos over Alex Molchan for the title. All right. See, now we're talking, Nate. Let's get a little creative. I, I absolutely uh, love that pick from you. Let me ask you this just quickly. What did you think about Alcaraz last week? I I think he just – like he worked himself through matches. I didn't think he was always playing his, his A tennis game. I thought he was able to um, build points together. And, I mean, you can just tell he's kind of feeling his body out, seeing where if he had the confidence to kind of uh, stop and start, push and go. And he was – Kind of, yeah, I mean, it's clay court events, so he's it's obviously not as uh, grueling on his body. So I think he felt he feels comfortable kind of playing his phys- physical style of tennis. And, um, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of times where he looked a little bit suspect, not like the world, the former world number one. But the fact that he was able to come through that and then play his best tennis in the final against Cam Nori and kind of rise to the occasion, 
at the end of that week. I thought that was, I'd said something about him and kind of it, it, the expectation of where we had him at the beginning of the year. I think it's, it, you can feel safe about uh, kind of keeping those expectations going forward as he hasn't, his level hasn't dropped and he's only going to get better as he gets healthier and finds his form and gets back into his rhythm. But Clay Cortenis is, his game is suited for it beautifully. And I think that he could be a real contender. And I mean, he obviously is a real contender for the French open title. So could be uh, getting, I, I could see him definitely winning a, a second slam uh, at the French. The most amazing thing to me was just how quickly the ball got on Car- uh, Cam Nori's shoulders. And it's just like yeah. early on, Nori was having success, taking the ball a little bit early, bunting down on that ball, having the strength to hit through things. And then we reached the midway point of that first set. And it's just like the totality of the pace Alcaraz throws at you. And then he mixes in the drop oh, shots. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't think he's moving that well yet. Like, he's moving well, but he's not moving Carlos Alcaraz well, and yet he might have actually gained some pace on his ground strokes. Like... He, got, he looked yeah. a little stronger. I know he's not at his most fluid, but I actually thought in that final in particular he was moving better and better as the match progressed. Look, again, it's interesting in his section, a lot of grinders in that section. You wonder how much he has left in the legs after the big week last week. Of course, he's got to defend points in Rio after his run there last year. Mm-hmm. Is there a big hitter who can take him out? Boy, would I like to see the Alcaraz-Baez matchup in the semis. I do think Nicolas Yari is the wild card. His serve, his forehand are just weapons, and they can be the biggest weapons maybe in this draw. Now, I know many are going to say you're not talking about Dominic Team's first-round loss. I don't have much to add about Dominic Team. Yeah. Like, just the rhythm's not there right now. That's, that's really all it comes down to, and the movement's not there. That's really the biggest thing is he just still hasn't gotten all the way back, and movement was such a big part of his success early in his career. You know what? I'm going to be boring here. I'm going to go Nori Alcaraz part two, and I'm going to say Alcaraz wins it again, and then we're all going to be like, oh, <laughs> Alcaraz is back, and it's going to be like, actually, he's not back. He's not playing his best tennis yet. This is just proof yeah. that he's already this good. Carry on. Final thoughts on Rio. Go to you. No, that's the thing is that that was the most impressive part of last week is Alcaraz, even not at his best tennis, is still able to wipe these guys with just playing his B game. I mean, which is nuts. And Nori, like his fitness. I mean, if he's if he's able to go back to back finals, I mean, what he's able to what is like just his fitness level and just how the distance and the gas tank that he has is just absurd. I mean, another collegiate tennis player. I mean, shout out to the Horn Frogs. He's uh, been the face of that franchise now for a while, and he's I'm sure he's uh, pretty face happy with it. that franchise. I love you, Nate. It's always great to talk. This is exactly <laughs> what I needed. Just let the record show. That's very well put. I'm going to change my pick, though. This is actually the week Albert Ramos gets himself into that first final because we never you have love a- Ramos. No, there's never a South American clay court swing where he doesn't make one final. And it's just like, um, this is the week where he makes a 500-level final. Now he's top 50 for the rest of the year. Um, So that's my pick, I guess, coming out of Rio as well. All right, we're going to go through these last two quickly because I know you got a roll here soon, Nate Doggin. By the way, that's my fault, listeners, because it did take me 17 takes to get through the intro earlier today. We go next to the ATP action in Doha, again, to stick with the tennis abstract formula to help preview and contextualize everything for you. Right now, top seed Andre Rublev is not the favorite to capture the title. That favorite status belongs to the third-seeded Daniil Medvedev coming off of his win in Rotterdam. He, you know, again, just what the doctor ordered for Daniil Medvedev, who had fallen outside the top 10, now back inside that, up to number eight following his run to the title. But look, I know the 500s happening in Rio. Andre Rublev, oh, this might be a 500 too, truth be told. I I didn't look at the ATP calendar yet, but it's a 250. 
Yeah, low to 250. Holika uh, Like, yeah. what? No. Because you look at it, Rublev, uh, Medvedev, Felix, RBA, you know, Zverev, I don't know what form we're going to see of him, but Zverev versus Murray's around one match here for Zverev, or a round of 16 match. Like, that's the goods. You already had Emil Rusevori knocking out six-seeded Dan Evans. Of course, Davidovich, Fokina, always dangerous, always rising or falling, depending on the level of his competition. He's in action here. Abdullah Shelby, who didn't play a match, really, for the 2022 Florida Gators from on the bench on that team to now ranked above Duarte Valle and Andy Andrade. He's into the top 400, a wild card you have to keep your eyes on. Again, as of right now, Nate, Medvedev 33.9%, Felix 23.3%, Rublev 16.1%. What you're watching for? Give me your picks. Medvedev last week, I got to watch him come through Falkino after Falkino came out, blitzed him in the first set and just was swinging for the fences, especially off the Medi second serve. I thought Falkino might have figured something out there, but Medvedev went back to the drawing board in between that first and second set and just went out there and made it routine. I think it was like two and two in the second and third set. That to me was like, all right, Medvedev is back. He's kind of regained that confidence. That made him one of the, probably the best hardcore player for a three-year stretch there. It seemed like at least top two when, uh, when Novak was playing at least, but look, I looked for Medvedev to find that form again. And he came back with his conferences serving and just, he looks to be like kind of have a swagger back. I mean, just after insane break points, he just no celebration, just walked to the bench. And when he, Kind of gets that swagger back where he just expects himself to come up with greatness and no, show no emotion. That's where you feel like Medvedev's. I mean, it's that he finds that next gear, and it's like I think that's more intimidating than yelling a big come on is when Medi just walks to his bench like and just does that little goofy walk he does with like and he expects that of himself. You're like, oh, I'm. I, I won't say the word, I, but you know, I love you. I'll say it. You're f- absolutely. Yeah. Like, don't worry. That's what Westoff's here for. <laughs> Yep, you're 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 getting clowned. It's over from that point yeah. on. And so the fact that he found that level last week that that bodes well for me to see him as the favorite in this event. Uh, I think if I mean his fitness has always been superb, so I think he'll have the legs to do it again to go to distance in this tournament as well. I think I would love to see him play Felix in that semifinal. Um, but yeah, I mean Medi's just a, a matchup nightmare for Felix, which is his court coverage and ability to change direction, give Felix just that extra ball and. Then you, if you don't come if you come behind something that's not great, Medi's going to make you hit the hit the goods on the volley. So I like Medi out of the bottom section, um, and from the top, I would love to just see an Andy Murray run to the final. I, I know he I know his legs are going to be a little heavy. Uh, just that Senego match was uh, a grueling one, and uh, what was the final timestamp on that one? It was two hours right and thirty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's going to have to find the gas tank like he did in Australia. But I think Zverev's just not in form, not in any type of rhythm. I think Murray's got – he's playing the best tennis that he's played in the last four or five years, whatever it is. So I think Murray comes through that match. And then, um, I mean, a Botic matchup would be fun to watch. I think – give me Murray over Rublev in the semi. We got – I got Murray against Medi in the final, and you just – you're not going to go against the, the octopus. Andre Rublev, two Doha finals in his career, 2018-2020, lost in the semis uh, in 2021 to Roberto Bautista. Gu didn't play it last year. I like Rublev to get to the final. I like the top seed to hold for him. I think he's playing pretty solid tennis right now. Now, the question is, you know, it's fascinating for Felix because he talked about why he didn't stay in Europe on the indoor hard courts, which he did last season, had a ton of success. He said, I want to get outside. I want better preparation for Indian Wells, Miami than I had last season. Will that pay off? I think that's the question to watch this week. I mean, again, Medvedev RBA. RBA has always been a thorn in Medvedev's side as a quarterfinal match, but... Yeah, I saw what Medvedev did last week, too. And 
I was very, very impressed. I'll go all Russia. Give me Medvedev versus Rublev in the final. I'm going to stick with you, though. I'm going to go with Medi here as well. Now, last one. I know we got to do this one quickly. Marseille, your top seed, Hubi Hercots. Second seed, Yannick Sinner. Third seed, Demonauer. Fourth seed, Grigor Dimitrov as of right now. Sinner, 32.8% chance of winning. Of course, he's coming off of back-to-back title final runs these past two weeks in Montpellier, Rotterdam, respectively. Uh, you look, obviously, Hubi Hercots uh, trying to keep his spot in the top 15 of the ATP rankings. It gets more and more competitive with every passing week. Look, I think that I've said it for so long now. I said it at the start of the season. I said it forever. I, I said I would be more surprised if not. If Yannick Sinner doesn't, then if he does finish the season top 10. You know where my thoughts are on Sinner. I've been on that Sinner bandwagon literally. I mean, I didn't create the Sinner bandwagon, but you know my thoughts on it, Nate Dog, especially indoor hardcores. I think he's in the midst of one of those special three-week runs that we so often see players have before they go on to never drop out of the top five for like a three-year stretch. I think that's yep. what we're getting from Sinner right now. Uh, obviously... I think this is a massive inflection point season for Alex Diemenauer. I'm probably going to have to sell my stock. Uh, not sell the stock, but it's just like, is this his ceiling? He's never going to get past number 12 in the world? Like, is that just what we have to accept moving forward? Or is there more low-hanging fruit for improvement for him? Final tournament, final predictions belong to you, Nate. No, Diemenauer, that the match that he got ahead against Grigor Dimitrov was ridiculous on Saturday, I think that was. Or, yeah, Friday morning. I enjoyed the hell out of that match. That was just popcorn, and I couldn't believe Grigor came through. Uh, just had enough in the tank to, to just battle that out. And that match point is worth going back to rewatch if you haven't seen it yet. Um, no, I'm looking for Hercots to step on the gas pedal, hit through these guys, freaking hit the forehand. I need to see him punish the forehand more. But, no, Sinner's obviously one of the early storylines of this year, as well as Cressy. I think Cressy's played uh, amazing tennis. I mean, he's just continuing to push the limits. I mean, the fact that this guy is now top 40 and looks like he could be a top 30 player – uh, if, he puts, if he continues to put together another t- two to three months of good tennis, uh, especially in the sunshine swing in, in the States. Um, but no, final predictions. Give me, gosh, this is a loaded 250, though. Uh, give me center out of the bottom just with his level. He's just, you can't, what he's going to do is swiping the ball off both wings. Give me center playing his buddy, Hercotch, in the final. Um, two nicest guys in the world. That's the nicest that's- final ever. You don't need lines, people. They'll call their own lines. It's fine. Those guys are friends. I I just know those guys practice a lot together. I think they played some doubles together. That would be a fun matchup. And give me, yeah, just give, I mean, give me center. I'm going center three straight weeks of of good tennis. I think he's found his, he's found his flow. I sold you. It's it's over. I like it. I, um, that Rinder Kinesh, if it's a Rinder Kinesh Hercots round of 16 match, it's a lot of power in that match. That's interesting to me. It's funny. Advanced analytics wise, Tennis Abstract thinks that when Grigor Dimitrov plays, he's still really freaking good. I actually think the best comparison for Grigor Dimitrov right now is on the women's side is Katarina Alexandrova in that, like, they're both so streaky. It's like the good weeks, they're going to look excellent. The bad weeks, I don't know why they showed up. Um, And so, like, the analytics love those sorts of high-variance players where it's like, well, the good looks really, really good. (sighs) Do we get a Cressy Sinner semifinal rematch, and this time Cressy gets the better of him? Wouldn't that be fun? I know Cressy's. I would love to see Cressy. Yeah, he's. Well, I mean, playing amazing tennis, and I think this the the, just yeah. I mean, what he's been able to do with with. One second. No, he's been able to find he's been able to find his goods, and I think he's looking cleaner off the off the baseline. If his shot tolerance can get a little bit higher, he's going to start pulling through in these big matches in the semis and the in the finals of these two fifty and five hundred events. 
Yeah, very well said. Well, with all that in mind, that's your pick. I'll go... I'll go... Something weird is going to happen this week on that. No, you know what? I'm going to go Hoobie... I'm going to go Hoobie Demon Hour. Hoobie Demon Hour. Let's change things up this week. And you know what? I'm going to take Demon to win the title because why not? Just kidding. I'm going to take Hoobie because as it came out of my mouth, I didn't feel good about the pick. So I'll go Hoobie over Demon in the final. But look, it's going to be a really fun week of tennis. And again, I'm reserving the right to bring you back, Nate, to talk about it all. With all of that said, again, we've got plenty of mini breaks scheduled this week. I know I have to play catch up. There's been a lot of tennis that's unfolded over the course of the month. We'll try to catch you up on everything here this week on this mini break podcast feed. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out. Westoff, all... you crushed it at National. You like the three box? You like it? Crushed it. Yeah. Crushed he, it. The animation, just... the everything, the three box, the trifecta box. I was all in on, on the on the Westoff production out there. Very well said. Best in the business. And again, as always, a shout out to you guys at Tennis Point for your support, not only, of course, of everything related to the college tennis world, but your support of this podcast day in, day out as well. With all of that said, for the fantastic Nate Walrath, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate Dog, what do you tell our listeners? That's the break, and I hope and to we, be back on the show soon. Yeah, absolutely, and we will see you all later today. Thanks as always, Nate. Yes, sir, Marshall.